And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who honks and he talks. At the same damn time, he is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Hey, doing good, Kieran. Winter meetings in Nashville are over. Uh, no one signed me to a recording deal, so I'm, I'm coming home a little <laughs> upset. But hey, we got we got some baseball topics to talk about. Uh, sorry, it's been a while since the last pod. We saved it all up. I think this week's going to be a good one. Well, look, you know, we uh, we got a lot of topics today, and uh, I thank Major League Baseball, and I thank the Tigers for giving us various things to talk about. By the way, how is uh, winter meetings in a non-wintery uh, environment, especially coming from uh, coming from Detroit? Is it a little reprieve? Do you kind of feel like, yeah, it's kind of weird? Is it like a, a jumbo shrimp type deal, a little oxymoron, or what? I could go on a whole rant about the Gaylord Opryland Resort in Nashville. Um, it's a really, really weird place, in my opinion. Um, also, just not productive from like a working standpoint. It's too big. It's like this sprawling complex where people like go on vacation um, when you they don't even leave the building. Uh, but it's like a winter wonderland in there, man. I will give it credit. Like really well decorated, like huge Christmas trees, awesome lights. They make it look like a little like Christmas village. So it was actually a very festive spirit. Now, I barely left that building for three days, and I really, really hated that place by the end of it. Um, and you would hear that from everyone in baseball. It's like this is the worst you know, winter meetings locale. Uh, but overall, a lot more uh, Christmassy than like San Diego in past years. And uh, the Christmas spirit was alive and well, I will say that. Well, the Tigers went into winter meetings already in a giving mood. They had uh, acquired. There we go. I knew there was a metaphor. In there. Yeah, there you go. They had acquired Kenta Maeda. They had signed him to a two-year deal. We'll talk about that. And then also during winter meetings, an announcement of uh, of of the giving spirit with AJ Hinch being uh, signed to an extension. I think we're just going with a long-term extension. We're keeping it that vague right there. Uh, I, I guess we'll start out with this. Your impression of the Tigers coming out of this, because from afar, I'll just tell you what I thought. From afar, it seemed like there was an organizational objective to promote a couple things. Uh, one, the ethos that we've spent the last year plus talking about in the Scott Harris era, uh, was, you know, small baseball moves, you know, all that kind of stuff. Two, I think the organization was trying to sell stability. Now we can talk a little bit more about the AJ Hinch uh, extension here in a second, but I felt like that was like the biggest thing right there was selling stability of the franchise to agents, players, you know, whoever was there, fans, you know, everyone paying attention. I felt that was a big thing. And then number three, they were selling opportunity. Uh, both guys that are already or in or in the organization and others who might, you know, be in the organization as we near spring training here in a couple months. So I thought those were the three things. One, your consistent message. Two, stability. And then three, the level of opportunity here, because obviously no big moves were had. We, we don't really expect that many big moves to be had here uh, moving forward. But those were kind of my impressions from afar, Cody. What what, what were your impressions uh the messaging of the organization. Well, yeah, it, like I think there are a million topics we can talk about off the off the AJ Hinch extension. I think it's really interesting in a variety of ways. In terms of the Tigers' message, you're absolutely right. It was kind of like stability. We're in a good place. We're looking at the long haul. Like we should be set up for success with young talent coming to the big leagues. 
with an executive and a manager that are going to be in place together for quote a long time, which in baseball is kind of a relative term. Um, now I'm pretty sure I know the terms of AJ Hinch's contract. Uh, I I'm not reporting it because I don't report like people are on jets at least unless I actually know for a fact they're on said jet, but, uh, I have a feeling that's going to come out one day. You know, I, I think in baseball terms, we're, we, we are talking a long time. Like the next several years are, are going to be set. That is a good thing for the Tigers to have and to preach. Um, you know, I think there are some sects of the fan base that are that are upset. Like, why aren't the Tigers doing more? And we can talk about that as well. Like sometimes I've almost gone back and forth on it a little bit. Sometimes I'm like, man, you, you just get like one or two more bats in this order. You could, you could make some noise. But then it's like, what I always come back to, like, this is such a, such a bad free agent class. Um, But I I think at the same time, like this organization and a little more than a year under Scott Harris, it's actually feels way more healthy than it was this time a year ago. And I, I say what you want about Harris's approach to this off season. I think the guy actually deserves some props. He's gotten things in a, uh, a situation you can feel really good about right now. Uh, buttoned up. Is that a good way to put it? It feels, it feels pretty buttoned up, uh, to me, at least from the outside. And the philosophy of which it is buttoned up is certainly disagreeable. Like, you you cannot like right. it. You can think that it's not the right approach and all that stuff. Uh, that's a different conversation. But I think based on who we know Scott Harris to be and who we knew AJ, who we know AJ Hinch to be, it feels pretty buttoned up and pretty uniform. There's stories of, and I, I'm only putting this out there just because it's an interesting topic. Even though it is, it, it can be kind of BS. There's 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 like the the C word collaboration uh, put out there, which sounds great. Uh, and and I, one of the things, let's just go into the AJ Hinch uh, extension here. I did like Scott Harris saying like I didn't want this to seem like an inherited manager situation. I think that's actually really good for the optics of the organization. And if you look around baseball, how many how many fan bases should feel as confident in their manager situation as the Tigers? I'm not going to list them all, but it's not that long of a list. And the fact that Again, I'm just going to use the term long-term. The fact that there's a long-term extension had for AJ tells me that the Tigers are doubling down or reassuring or whatever. Their belief in having a strong manager, also not necessarily always the case, although as we talked about, it is it is coming back. And the fact that we spent... A half a season, and then even last season, just like, you know, one of those things that would just kind of come up just because, like, the opt-out thing I'm, I'm looking back to from a couple of years ago, which was not the case, which is which was not the case. And then any time, like, oh, are the Yankees going to fire Aaron Boone? Well, who are they going to look to? Oh, well, maybe they'll look to Detroit and try to pry AJ. Like, that kind of stuff was always going to be the case unless you made some sort of organizational effort, announcement, investment, if you would, into a manager of his caliber. So, to me, that seemed like their number one goal, and they they succeeded in that, and to AJ's credit, he's saying all the right things, too. Like, it it was kind of like a piggyback of the postseason joint press conference. The, The moves are not, I guess is where I'm really getting at. The moves for this franchise this offseason are not going to make you gung-ho. They're just not. Like, we, we've predicted this. They've said it in not so many words. But the organizational approach and the organizational stability and the people in place ought to be, like, your plus for the offseason. And you could have both, but they're not choosing to, so I'm looking at it from from their standpoint in order to try to explain it in my mind, sort of what they're doing here. Yeah. So so let's get into like the nitty gritty on some of this stuff. There are three areas I want to look at the AJ Hinch contract extension from. One, why did the Tigers not announce this for almost two months? Two, was this the right thing for the Tigers? Three, was this the right thing for AJ Hinch? 
one i'm stuck on that one man i don't know because this seems like they're if your pitch is stability i think free agents would like that we know who the manager is going to be we know who the exec is going to be we know what the vision is going to be this is good news why would the team not <clears throat> announce that shortly after it was done or even leak it to anybody um <clears throat> Not entirely sure on the answer for that one. Seems like good news you would want to share, even if you know you're keeping the terms private or whatever. Uh, really confused on the messaging there. Ultimately, I guess not a huge deal. Two, um, I think it's a good thing for the Tigers, right? You you have a strong manager. There's always been whispers, especially you know Craig Council signs you know five years uh, was kind of this new free agent manager. There were people in the game asking me like, oh, is that going to be AJ in a couple years? And I was like, I mean, it, it, obviously he said he wants to stay in Detroit. I, I believed that, but like it, it was a, a question to ponder. Now you have a guy, you lock him up. I think that's good. It is a little unorthodox though, right? Because AJ had two years left on his deal. What if the Tigers suck in 2024? What if they lose that positive momentum again? You could look at this and say, well, AJ's been manager for four years. They haven't won a damn thing. And now you're committed to him for X number of years beyond this. Is that really right? Could this have been premature? Um, that's a that's an interesting question. At the same time, I think it's kind of it's it's one of Scott Harris's bolder moves to say, no, I got a guy we like. Let's get this done. Um, and overall, right, like there's a very, very short list of managers who think anyone would rather have over AJ Hinch. So I, I like Scott projecting some confidence and getting that deal done. So three, was it the right thing for AJ? I don't know. Like, I guess we'll see. There's a chance AJ could have went and made a lot of money in two years, had his pick of where he wanted to go, including potentially staying in Detroit. He would just have more leverage, maybe. Um, I guess it really comes down to what do you want? Well, the guy's got some stability. You know, he's uh, he sold one property in Detroit, and now he's, he's going to get another one. And uh uh clearly like he wouldn't have done this unless he were happy here and unless there was validity to his words that he could um win here it it, it is revealing i think about what he says about the situation he probably could have been like hey i love it here scott but like he, he basically could have kicked the can or had his agent kick the can down the road and like wait another year before putting pen to paper um at the same time you know Look, manager, AJ will say manager jobs are really hard to keep if you have someone willing to guarantee you you're employed at, at this for the next several years. Maybe you should take that opportunity while it's there for you. So I'm a big believer and people tell you who they are and what they're about. And this was certainly something that AJ did not have to do. He didn't have to mm -hmm. do it. I mean, what's that? uh one of the lines, I, I know this is the fictional part of the movie, one of many, but in Moneyball, when uh, when Philip Seymour Hoffman, RIP, as Art Howe, is like, you know, manager players don't want to play on one-year deals, and managers don't want to manage on one-year deals, and, and all this stuff. And it's a nice little kind of moment in the movie, even though it's like completely fiction. It's not even remotely true. Uh, two years left. He didn't have to. He could, this could have easily been happening next year. He had, he, he kind of... He kind of did the anti-Scott Harris here, Cody. He kind of got rid of his flexibility a little bit. And, 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 yeah. and, and, you know, like, again, he didn't have to do it. The fact that he did do it means he's at least comfortable, we can say, comfortable with the situation, comfortable with the organizational ethos moving forward. And as I've said a million times when people kind of either question AJ or feel as though he's not like all in, although I think this ought to basically put that to bed, is like, look, you're rooting for the team, but the team's win-loss record is not on your resume. It's He's rooting for the team, and it's on his resume. So, like, this is a guy, I, he's a he's a prideful dude. Tell me if I'm wrong about any of this stuff. He's a prideful dude. He's a, he's a competitive guy. Like, he wants to do right by his name post the you know the cheating scandal and all this stuff and one of the ways that you do that is win games so he's not gonna just gonna sign sign up again the first time you could argue was maybe out of a source of lack of auctions desperation whatever now that is not necessarily the case so i feel like 
this is this is as much a stamp of approval of the organizational's organization's direction moving forward as you're really going to get uh without having any sort of like huge player salary ownership commitments and and i also i i do like the fact that i don't know about the whole collaboration thing this is probably something that might be kind of gm slash coach speak but i do really like that there's not an imbalance between front office and, and, and the manager's office like i don't know obviously scott is technically aj's boss but it's always weird when you hire somebody as a gm who did not hire the coach or the manager it's just yeah. it, it, the, the power dynamic can always be kind of weird that's one of the reasons i liked how the lions hired Holmes and Campbell separately and said, y'all work together. Remember Caldwell and Bob Quinn was kind of weird. It was weird the whole time. Then he fires Caldwell, brings in Patricia, and uh, you guys know the rest. So I like the balancing act of the organization. I like ownership making a commitment to, uh, to the organization moving forward. I will say this though. This is another theme of the off season, and this is, this can kind of translate into some other stuff if you want, Cody. It seems to me this off season's a lot about advancing the organization. Some of that is financial means, but it's not any of the sexy stuff that that grabs the ESPN.com headliner. You know what I mean? So I'm sure there's still more infrastructure going on behind the scenes that hasn't been brought up yet. Uh, the the AJ Hinch contract is certainly an example of this. They're doing a lot of things to in, to improve the organization. They're, they're doing a lot of 26, 27 man stuff, organizational metaphor wise, Cody. And yeah. it's obviously good, but it, it's not that sexy. And we and, and we do have a fan base. I'm sure your Twitter mentions reflect mine, even more so, obviously, uh, a fan base that's hungry for that that topical move. And, yeah. and and I'm assuming you got no indication that's coming. Talking to Scott oh, and no. and Jeff Greenberg. Side note on Jeff Greenberg, uh, I was reading stories and I was like, and seeing press conference stuff, and I was like, Jeff Greenberg, who is that? Oh yeah, that's right. That's uh, <laughs> that's the general manager. Like it had been so long, it's just like I was absent of mind for a second. Uh, but you heard from him for I assume only the second time or first time since his introduction. Uh, but yeah, no indications that a starving fan base for a big move uh, is going to be satisfied here during the holiday season. Well, I'm glad Scott let let Jeff Greenberg talk. It was kind of a reminder of like, hey, this guy's in this too, you know. For uh, so maybe AJ should I don't know let George Lombard talk. Like maybe it could be good for him. Yeah, Chris Better maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, that was good. Let's get that into. Let's translate that into another kind of nitty gritty topic. The 2024 Tigers. I've been, I don't know if I've said it in as many words, but this is kind of what I've been trying to convey to fans, to listeners for a while. I'm I'm not fully, like, I almost think the hype has gone a little too far. And I just said, like, Scott probably isn't giving enough credit for how much more healthy the organization has become in his time. That can be true while still, like, I'm not fully drinking the Kool-Aid on 2024. I think there are a lot of good things happening in the organization. I just think the offense is still going to really suck. Um, in the AL Central, I don't know. Anything's possible. Um, you know, if the Tigers are above 500, they could have a shot to win that division. But I I don't see how you're going to generate an offense that's in the top third of the league unless – Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy and potentially Jace Young down the line avoid the rookie struggles that we saw with Spencer Torkelson and with Riley Green. Like there is so much on these young hitters. You need everybody to stay healthy. I think Mark Hanna's a really good addition, actually, like underrated good addition. Uh, but one guy is not going to jolt your offense from 28th to even 20th. Like there is a lot, a lot of work to do. Um so that's how I feel about that. Well, here, that, here, said, how, here. that said, 2025, 2026, like, I, I'm starting to see that plan come to right. fruition a lot more. Because it was literally this time last year and even, like, a little bit more than a year ago, we had said it's looking like 23 is a wash year. And right. that's really how it played out. 
it was it, it you know it was a wash year. There were pieces of productivity for the long term health of the franchise. Spencer Turkelson improving, at least not looking like a bust and all that stuff. And he provided the the highlights. And you got to see Riley Green, although the health concerns obviously came up in multiple facets, but. You know, and then you got to see Miguel Cabrera go off into the sunset. All right, that was it's all well and good. There were a lot of positives. Scooble coming back from injury, all that stuff. And I put this on Twitter because someone asked us about it. And it's like, you know, we called 2023 a wash year. 2024 looks like a setup year, which is basically just like what you described. It's like continuing yeah. to kind of set up the foundation of what you want your organization to be. I think playing a lot of young players. That's what I was talking about, like, the, the opportunity stuff. Like, Colt Keith, Jay Hen, those are guys that are going to get a lot of opportunities. But you know what they're not going to get? This is my prediction right here. They're not going to get the Spencer Torkelson 2022 opportunity, where you just put them in the lineup every day, and it's like, this is the only way to get better. You're going to get those guys playing twice a series, once a series, maybe. And it's going to be kind of a a little bit of a turnover, especially at third base, which is something we can talk about too. Uh, and, you know, what Jace Young does in the minors and, and some of these other kind of fringe pitching prospects. And I, opportunities, setup, like this is this is the move before the move before the move. It's not going to sell, so, sell many tickets. It's probably not going to get you great viewership. But is it wrong? I can't say it's wrong either. I'm not saying it's yeah. right, but I can't say it's wrong either. Because here's the thing. They're being very meticulous about saying we are not going to take away at-bats for our young prospects. Yeah. Now, is that a confidence thing in their ability? Or is it a necessary thing? Maybe right. a little bit of both. I don't know. But if you're clamoring for Cole Keith, because you could make the argument they weren't necessarily that gung-ho about them last year. Or this year, whatever. 2023. Because they didn't give him a call up when, you know, you can't say they didn't deserve it. Jay Hen and Colt Keith specifically. They're going to they're gonna get theirs this year. So we're, I could read that as a confidence in their ability to, to produce at a certain level, figure it out, better for the long-term health of the organization. Or is it just, we just have to do this? Because, again, all these are inherited players except for Jay so, Hen. So the flip side of all this, Kieran – to just kind of play devil's advocate now, there are probably at least 15 GMs who look a lot like Scott Harris and talk a lot like Scott Harris and have resumes a lot similar to Scott Harris. And they, they can all use these buzzwords and talk about ramps and runways. And it's kind of a problem in the game. As we said, not that many teams are actually out there trying to win now. We just saw a team in the Texas Rangers that didn't give a damn about any of that, put their foot down, said, let's win some ball games. They win, they did it. Um, so like, is it is it wrong? Like, it's easy to sit there and listen to Scott and come away with like, oh yeah, like this this all adds up. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense because it, it does. Um, I'm not in the camp of like of like uh, saying this is wrong. Is it right? Eh, like what you said, I don't know, but I I don't think it's wrong. I was pretty critical of the Tigers last year for not seeming that interested in getting a third baseman. Mm-hmm. You look at the roster this year. We're kind of we're kind of in the same spot. Basically the same guys. I don't know that I'm as critical because who the hell else are you going to go get? I don't want to sign Matt Chapman to a 5-year, 100 plus million dollar deal. He's coming off a down year. He's Not a good player, but uh that, that seems scary. Uh Jamer Candelario, man, uh yeah, like I don't think we want to go back right back down that road. The other probably most intriguing option I've been able to think of is Isak Paredes, who may or may not be on the trade market. It's like, all right, that's another reunion thing. Guy played out of his mind last year. The Rays, they kind of trade everyone once they start making a couple mil in arbitration. But the simple fact they're shopping him uh, tells me he could be a candidate for some regression. And then it's like, okay, well, Andy Abanez had a had a OPS over 800 after a, like early June of last year. And Matt Veerling... Had a 96 WRC plus, a little bit under league average. I don't think Veerling's ever going to become like a, a superstar player, but there's a world in which he gets to a little more power and he's an above league average offensive hitters. It's like, so to me, I don't feel great about 
that, but I think I feel better about that. A lot of Veerling and Abanez until Jace Young gets up here than I do any other option that I've been able to realistically think of. I get it. Like would Dave Dombrowski go into this season with Matt Veerling as his third baseman? You know, he, he probably wouldn't, but um, it, 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 unless Dave were to pull off some aggressive move that I'm not even able to like conjure in my mind, then I don't actually know that the Tigers are wrong this time around. Well, to me, you can only, it's like, it's like playing blackjack, which I did a little bit this past weekend in New Orleans. It's like playing blackjack. There's only so many things you can do with the hand that you're dealt, you know? And and sometimes you got to make necessary moves that aren't the sexy moves, but that's kind of like the only thing you have to do. Now, could you have gone out and traded three pitchers and four pitchers and a catcher or whatever the hell the, the market was for uh, Soto? I guess you could have, but was that like... Was that really the best long-term view for this organization? Which we know Scott Harris is taking. Which A.J. Hinch has just signed up to be a part of. So, all those things being in place. Like, I know, like, the 2021 free agency, or going into the 22 season, free agency class is kind of like, you know, because of Erod and and Javi. But in terms of, like, if it was that caliber of free agency class, then yes, I would be here on this mic, pounding the table to to go make a move. Of some caliber, whether you know whoever it might be, like if Aaron Judge was a free agent or something, like I would I would be pounding the table to go do that. Here, I see a lot of deals on the table that you might not feel that great about in six months, and certainly in three and a half years. So, to me, it's more of a product of the environment than necessarily like Scott Harris being like trigger shy or whatever. And, and here's the thing. that's We can think that now. We can give him the benefit of the doubt. It's not always going to be the case. Eventually, and we talked about this before, eventually he's going to have to do something to kind of try to put this team over the top if players develop and things yeah. you know, continue. And, and, and so next offseason, if they're not in on Alex Bregman or whoever, like I'll probably be pretty critical of that. Yeah, That's a year down the road, and we'll see what position the Tigers are in right now. They, they have no excuse for not going pretty, pretty hard in, in 2025 and spending a little money. Um, but this being a setup year, like if the free agent class were different, it'd be a different conversation. But this is what we got. And what Mark Canna, pretty good acquisition. Kenna Maeda, pretty good acquisition. It's not, it's not like they've done absolutely nothing. They weren't talked about much at winter meetings because they've probably already made what may end up being their two biggest moves to the winter. They're going to add a little more pitching. I bet we see a lefty bullpen arm. I do wonder if Scott has some kind of trade up his up his sleeve. I'm not talking a blockbuster trade, but like the let's move Akil Badu and get some other kind of piece that can be helpful to us. I wouldn't be shocked if something like that emerges, you know, before spring training. Um, and th- and that's where we're at right now. So what w- that also brings me to another kind of thought bubble that I had. So. Listening to my favorite New York podcast post Soto trade, it, the the mention was made that this is the kind of time of year where teams sort of start trying to formulate like how are they gonna sell their team, and that's literally with tickets and merch and TV and you know all that kind of stuff. And the Yankees didn't really have much to sell. And because they had, like, what, the same record as the Tigers? What happens when you have the same record as the Tigers or the Yankees? Well, you trade for perhaps the best young young stud in the game. Uh, <laughs> so so there's your indicator right there. But this was a big, I mean, nobody in New York is upset about that trade, right? And this is a big selling point for the Yankees. Now, now they're going to have their own little murderer's row and all that stuff. So what's the Tigers selling point as we bring it over to, to Detroit? I was just thinking about like some of the faces that were on the team last year. Even if we knew they were limited, Cabrera, Scope, Boyd, Eduardo, and you know a couple others, obviously. And now I'm kind of looking at the landscape of the team, and it's not like you can't have a team of all young guys, obviously. But you're kind of looking at a team that the intrigue is in is in the youngins. The intrigue is in the youngins. Uh, Torgelson coming back from a 30 home run season. Green, can we get can we get a whole Riley Green experience? 
Because damn it, I want one. Damn it, I want one. Uh, you know, there's as long as Akil Badu's on this roster, he's going to provide some fun moments, right? You know, and Beerling, how how is that going to look if he's going to kind of enter as a full time third baseman? And and now you add in the, all the intrigue of Jay Hen and Colt Keith, and you know everyone's going to have a close eye on Jace Young. It, to me, this has the potential to be fun. It has the potential to be fun. Uh, more so than previous years in the sense of, like, you had these vets that we didn't really... We knew weren't long for this world in terms of being with the organization. And you still have the hobby bias thing there. I guess you could call that intrigue. I'm not sure you would want to call it intrigue, but... It, not all it, intrigue it, is good. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's still technically there. It's still technically there. So I'm wondering, like, like the sort of, like, how we're going to view this team and what's going to be the selling point... And I think having, like, a young, potentially scrappy team, potentially a team of guys that don't know they're not supposed to be that good, I think that could be fun. I think that could be fun. So I think that that would be my selling point. There's your marketing uh, tip from turning the corner is, is, is these youngins that you got that you got to sell and the intrigue of which, like, how, how good could they possibly be along with sort of like an old guard of a manager and then you have the young GM and, and and all these or not sorry GM but president of baseball ops and and all these things. So like in terms of how I look at the roster, the opportunity thing that I mentioned at the top here, like that seems to me that's going to be like the calling card of the 2024 Tigers. Yeah, and that was one of the more fun things to follow about last year's Major League Baseball season. We saw young teams like the Reds and, to a degree, the Diamondbacks um, be really fun and have a lot of success with almost that kind of model. I don't know that that means, like, like there's not a Corbin Carroll on this team. There's not an Ellie De La Cruz. None of these prospects coming up are good fielders. So, like, there, there are some areas for worry, but, like, it's – Colt Keith, man, Colt Keith is pretty good. I could see Colt Keith coming out and being able to hit right out of the gate. Like, wouldn't that be fun? And yeah, Riley Green, who almost now seems like we still haven't got a full year of Riley Green, but we're almost taking him for granted at this point, too. If the Tigers are to get out of the bottom third of runs scored, it's going to be because Riley Green has an all-star season, which he is. He played an all-star level for the majority of the time he was healthy last year. How do you think – so we talk all the time about, and you've mentioned it on this pod, the weakness of the division, the AL Central. How do you think internally that is viewed by the powers that be with the Tigers with the moves they make or decide not to make or whatever? Because because when we talk about the right or wrong thing, and then we can kind of wrap up this you know roster sort of talking in circle stuff. But when you talk about the right or wrong aspect of it, if there was a time to kind of pounce in a way, if there's a if there was a time to make a measured pounce, what does that mean? I'm not really sure, but it exists. <laughs> Sounds like a word Scott Harris could use. Measured pounce. There's a measured pounce here. There's also a tiger pun in there to be had with this season coming up, but. Do you think that this that's something that's kind of like on the mind of like uh, of Scott, of Jeff, of AJ? It's like if we make maybe one extra move that we don't necessarily have to, doesn't cost us much long term or financially, whatever. Like it could it could benefit us by having us in a division race to the end or whatever, or maybe even possibly win. Like is that is that something they're thinking about? Should it be something they think about? Like, and to what degree? Yeah. I think is also an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I think if that move is out there, it's not at third base. It'd be more the the theory we talked about a few weeks ago about like, uh, what if you just went and got a legit DH, um, which would break AJ's heart and would probably basically mean, hey, JN, sorry, dude, go post a four hundred OBP and triple A again. Like, you're not coming up in this home sir. So that would have like some caveats. I think if there's a move that exists, I think it's that and. One thing I do think they should do is actually spend more on pitching. Uh, they could they could get a guy more toward the top end of that market if they wanted, and I don't. And that would only mean their pitching is in better shape once these young hitters grow up a little bit. So those are my two thoughts on that. 
Uh, I don't think they've taken it into consideration. Scott's been asked about it publicly. He says, like, yeah, you, you know, I just can't worry about that. Like, you know, yeah, stack one baseball move on top of another for our team and our club and blah, 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 blah. And uh, maybe that's not necessarily wrong. After this, I'm going to go read some Minnesota Twins coverage. Because I don't really know what the Twins rationale is. I, <laughs> if there's a team that's like, like, why are they doing nothing? I think it's the Minnesota Twins. Uh, you just you just won this division. Not no one else in this division is doing anything of note. Like this is your chance to put your foot down, and they they're kind of passing on this winter uh, so far. Even more, I believe, than the Tigers have. I'm bad if I go look at their front office quotes. It'll be like something about like runway and blah 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 too. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe we'll circle back on that one next week. Well. If we're talking about like how the front office feels, if there was some truth serum in this, and let's let's spend a little bit of time on Kenta Maeda's uh, acquisition. So it's a two-year contract for twenty-four million total. It's fourteen one ten the next. Uh, he's gonna be thirty-six, basically right after opening day. I think his birthday's in early April. So he's he's obviously an older pitcher. He's got some miles on him, and. He's a guy that is, as of now, sort of pseudo-replacing Eduardo Rodriguez, who turned down 3 for 49 and signed with the Diamondbacks. Which, by the way, kudos to the Diamondbacks, making a nice little move after coming off uh, World Series. Side note, they're selling season tickets for as low as 3 bucks a pop. I saw that, and I was like, damn. My my homeowner teams do that. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, and and Erod signs for four for eighty, so we can kind of wrap up Erod and talk about Maeda. And it wasn't uh, the West Coast, but it was a team in the Western the U.S. So you the, know the, what? the Mountain Coast, the Mountain <laughs> yeah, Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't like, totally way, disingenuous <laughs> about being open to somewhere else. He talked about somewhere he can live year round, which like there sure. are other places yeah. you can do that. But uh, yeah. hey, good for Eduardo, good for his family. He got paid. I don't think that's like like. I think it was best the Tigers moved on from that guy. Um, but it seems like he's in a pretty good situation. And by the way, his market wasn't crazy either. It's about what we predicted. It was yeah. like if you know you get, you know you get. I don't know how it's broken down per year, but you get twenty per year on average. And like, there is a vesting uh, option that can make it uh, up to a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. So and and you know and to me like I like I would have been okay like if everyone was cool with it, like bringing them back for, you know, two to three years at like a higher salary or whatever. I think, you know, that's a basically a little medium there, but good for him. Uh, he'll be remembered as, uh, a good pitcher who just had, who did everything you possibly could to alienate a fan base, uh, with your actions or inactions. And by the way, fair or unfair, I'm just telling you how people feel, you know, and, and so, like, I don't have any resentment toward Eduardo. Uh, I don't think really people should. I think you can be have an honest conversation about his time with the Tigers without having, you know, resentment or whatever. However, you turn the page, you, you wipe your hands clean. Scott Harris did not double down on a mishap, which is one of the things that we've been talking about for months. Uh, and he goes and he gets another veteran pitcher, another good veteran pitcher, like I think so because uh, I was in New Orleans when when this signing went down and you know looking at Twitter and somebody you know asked like what our thoughts were and I was like yeah classic Scott you you, you sign like a low risk nice player you even get the lower salary for the second year that gives you uh, trade potential if 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 you need it you know he 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 did exactly what I expected Scott Harris to do was he had to pay a little bit of a tax I think. Cause I'm not sure how many people were gonna give Maeda two-year deals. I could be wrong there. But yeah, sure I the almost have a conspiracy theory about the second year on this deal. Oh, and, okay. and, and Kenta, Kenta, you know, talked about two years being important to him. Scott Boris was on the call because he's Scott Boris and kind of talked about that. Uh, but why? Why did Scott have a hard time trading Eduardo Rodriguez? And there was the opt-out, but because opt-out. he amounted to a rental. Mm-hmm. Be a, what, what if Scott shops Kinta at this deadline? Says, hey, he's he's not a rental. He's under contract for one more he's year. Contract. Get a little more in return. I think it, it might just be a one-year deal that's a two-year deal. We'll talk I about mean, that more in, like, July, but wouldn't that be <laughs> interesting? What does Scott Harris want? 
He wants flexibility. And boy, golly, does he have it. You know, and again, especially 2026 or whatever, uh, 2025 uh, trade deadline. So you're going to be trading a guy that's only going to cost you $5 million to the team that acquires him or whatever. You know, so, I mean, the, Scott Harris, if nothing else, he's going to do everything in his power to keep his options open. And I kind of respect the commitment to the bit. I really do. But this is, but this is a, it's, it's a nice signing, and you know, Maeda, you know, said all the good things at at the press availability, and he, 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 as I said earlier, you can't have, you certainly can't have a roster full of just young players, and you certainly cannot have a pitching staff of of only young pitchers. So that's important. That's a thing, and I'm also, I don't know if I would call this conspiracy tinfoil hat stuff here, Cody. But there's, I've been thinking this for about two months now, but I haven't really been able to formulate it. And I'm actually not sure I can still formulate it, but I think now it's worth talking about. I, I, I think one of the things that Scott's going to do whenever it comes time to do some sort of pounce is he's going to look at signing Japanese or Asian players uh, to bring them over to Detroit as opposed to trading for some guy in AAA or a prospect. He's going to want he's going to feel like he has more data. This is all speculation. All speculation. So you tell me how much of an idiot I am. I could just see Scott Harris feeling like you know, there might be a little bit of a discrepancy in the market in how people view uh players coming over from Japan. Not like the high-end guys. I'm not talking about those, but some of the lower-tier players that might have a better output than taking a chance on a guy from double a or whatever that everyone sees i feel like that might be some, that might be a market he tries to like hone in on a little bit and i don't know if it will net like a lot of players or whatever but i think that's a window that he's going to look at because also of note it's it's a lot different selling a franchise that's in a non-marquee market to players from North America as opposed to players from overseas. So I think this might be I think this might be a kernel of truth here, Cody. Just a kernel. And Maeda could be an added asset in that direction. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the more overblown aspects of the Kins Maeda signing. I don't think Yamamoto was coming to Detroit because for the record, I the thought Tigers this was signed for the signing. Before the signing, I thought. Um, I do okay. think what well, this guy here is like. He likes options. He likes flexibility. I know they've added some scouts in um, in Asia. Uh, clearly, it's a market the Tigers have not tapped into for like literally two decades. So you can't just cut off a stream of potential talent. Scott is trying to reopen that as an avenue. I don't know that that means anything is imminent this off season or next off season. I think the Tigers, if they find a, a Japanese player or an Eastern Asian player, they like, they want to be in a position to feel like they have a, a case. So maybe this helps a little bit. I also think it's quite possible. I guess I, I would have to break down the numbers to know for sure, but I feel like a lot of those deals you end up kind of overpaying for. Um, At the top end, sure. Yeah. But I don't, so, but we, yeah, we yeah don't... maybe not the bot, the really the Scott Harris type pieces, you know. Yeah. The, so <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll be interested to see how this one plays out in like five years. I'm not, uh, I, I don't think it's as like pressing a topic right now as it's been made to be. But I do like Kenna Maeda. Let's say we haven't talked about the guys a picture. You know why I like Kenna Maeda? He strikes people out. You know what the Tigers really like? If there's one thing, they don't have a lot of strikeout pitchers right now. They have Scooble, and the little we've seen of Mize, he doesn't miss bats. Matt Manning doesn't miss bats. I Actually, Reese Olsen does miss some bats. Um, if I were an executive, I think I would build a pitching staff around some power pitchers. Uh, it tends to lead to more predictable outcomes. You're not relying on FIP as much. Um, you look at Kinemaeda's ERA throughout his career; it's been it's been very stable and consistent. Other than the shortened 2020 season, it's not going to blow you away. But this guy's had a mid three ERA uh, for the majority of his career. He does he needs to throw more innings this year. Uh, he had Tommy John. He had a uh, was it a lat injury. He had something else last year. He hasn't surpassed 150 innings since 2019. 
But in theory, with a new UCL, he should now be well positioned to do that despite his age. Um, uh, the, the Tigers are going to need at least 150 plus out of Maeda, but if he strikes out nine to 10 guys per nine innings, uh, I think he's going to have another very solid year. I think he's a, an adequate, like, I think he's a good addition to your pitching staff. Not that it really matters, but it just kind of popped into my head. Do you think who's who's opening day? Who's opening day on the on the bump? Ooh, Scooble. Scooble. So not a. Uh, it could be my. It could be like could a, be. a veteran type thing. I say, tell Tarek Scooble this is your effing pitching staff right now. We want you to be an all star. We want you to be a Cy Young candidate. I'm, I like I'm, that. I'm giving Scooble the ball on opening day. I like that. Uh, rounding out some of the uh, some of the news of, of the past couple weeks. Now, <laughs> spent this whole podcast talking about how Scott Harris was himself throughout this whole thing, but there was one thing he did not do that I expected him to do because that's just kind of <laughs> how he makes his mark. No Rule Five draft pick, Cody. No Rule Five draft pick. Uh, a couple in the minors. But no, no Rule Five draft pick for uh, for the Tigers this year. First time since like what 2015. Wow. Uh, and, and and you had been on the record, and I think you're 100 percent right on this of basically saying just generally speaking, why not grab somebody? Yeah. Worst case scenario, it don't work out, and you know send them back to the organization. And I don't I don't think there's a long hit. Someone could tell me if I'm wrong here. I don't think there's a long history of taking somebody in the Rule Five. It not working out. It goes back to the other organization, and then all of a sudden, this person explodes. No, uh, Tigers so, have benefited from Will Vest being returned to him, and I wouldn't say that's exploding being the word, but like, you know, they got a guy who probably wasn't quite ready that that year. He was with the Mariners and got another year under his belt and became an adequate big leaguer for the Tigers. Maybe that's the thought in some of the like Mason Engler. Man, it was it was rough getting him through the season last year. Now you. You get Engler, you can put him in the minor leagues, like you feel pretty good about him as something else. But like, was it really worth the hoops you had to jump through to survive? I, I, I almost lean toward no. I mean, I guess we'll see what Engler becomes. I think generally, if it, it's free talent that's there, like especially pitchers, why would you not take a swingman type or like a power reliever and bring him to spring training and see what he does? So I, what I think teams don't do enough is do that and then just cut the guy at the end of spring training. Usually they overcommit to their rule five picks. That's um, so generally I think if I were an executive, I'd probably freaking take a guy and just, what if you have a couple injuries in spring training and suddenly you need another arm, you know, but I, I do kind of want to applaud the Tigers for making an adult decision and not like not making the rule five a priority this year. That is a sign of growth at the, at the very same time. Well, there's again, like, there's a lens to view this as so not taking anybody in the rule five obviously they're still going to acquire more players but not taking anybody in the rule five not any splash moves that again taken away at bats from the youngins like there's there's an argument to be made that there's a commitment like we what what did we talk about last year a lot it's like are you really earmarking at bats for young players like are you really they actually now yeah now it feels like you're really earmarking at bats and innings for younger players uh again you can't do that completely but now it feels like a little bit more real than maybe it was uh at the time and we don't really have to spend any time on this but no lottery luck for the tigers this year have the number 11 pick in next year's draft uh if you're you looking if you're no i literally was uh i think he's writing about one soda or something so it's that's the good things about uh, my role expanding, doing a little more national stuff. I, <laughs> I didn't care about the draft lottery that much this year. Um, and if you're looking at a mock draft right now, trying to figure out who the Tigers are taking at number 11, respectfully, you're wasting your time because that's going to change a lot. Yeah, between no now and the draft. All I know is that in a couple of years, I want the Tigers to somehow draft Ethan Holiday. That's Ooh. all I know. There we go. That would probably require sucking because I'm sure he'll be <laughs> yeah, like be right a, at uh, right at the top of the thing. draft, just just like Jackson. Uh, but he looks just go go on Twitter and look at uh, look at his uh, his swing. Uh, it looks just as sweet as Jackson. So uh, that's my only advice: is figure out a way to get uh, Ethan Holiday. Uh, all right, 
Let's go to the, the, the most positive news of winter meetings, Cody. Jim Leland. Everybody's, every, everybody's boy. So my father, he's in his early 70s. He's seen a lot of Tigers managers. And, you know, I grew up with him, like, talking fondly of Sparky Anderson, obviously, for obvious reasons. And I really heard him say, like, oh, man, like, Mayo Smith. You know what I mean? Like, even though he won a World Series, but, like, it just didn't, I, I just didn't hear it. But the he but the way he talks about Jim Leland is like you would expect it like me talking about it in fifty years in terms of like that was my formidable years of, of like the Tigers manager. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. he speaks of him as if he was a kid watching him manage the Tigers. And so obviously very happy for Jim Leland. The benefit for all of us is that we got even more like examples of uh of, of Lelandisms and Leland stories and and a lot of stuff, and I'm sure you, you you've got some uh, that that are your favorite, even ones that maybe just didn't make it to the cut to uh, to publish. But uh, I think my favorite was the whole hotel smoking thing. Genius. I think, I, I think that that was my favorite. There are a couple I, people I, in the comments who were offended by that anecdote. I was like, stop. All right, here's the thing. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, can, can I be honest with the audience here for a second, Cody? I, Always. I, we value honesty I, I, around here. I've gone to the DMV and said that I'm wearing contacts when I don't wear. Uh, I'm wearing. I'm Whoa. not wearing contacts. Whoa. And I'm like, I don't want it on my license. I'm fine. So you know, I, I'm cool. I'm cool with people skirting the rules a little bit. You know, so I, I'm cool with Jim Leland doing that veteran move love it i also love the uh sean casey uh if i jump and i don't land don't come uh, down yeah you know that's uh that, that, that's, 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 i want that's, you to steal uh yeah steal. yeah the, the story's on the athletic yeah i should read it if you haven't i did another one uh in 2020 like leland's stories are amazing um i probably wouldn't want to inherit jim leland's smoky hotel room the guy after him <laughs> unless someone told me jim leland stayed there before and then I'd be like, oh, no, that's awesome. I will deal with this smoke and any uh, any potential secondhand smoke effects just to say I did it. You know, uh, one of the biggest regrets of my life, actually, Ron Washington once once offered me um, a cigarette. Um, I was an intern at MLB.com and I interviewed Wash in the dugout and and I said no. And, I, you know, I don't really like smoking. And uh, I was an intern. I was like, I'm not freaking smoking the dugout. And that's like – I had a chance to say I smoked a cig with Ron Washington, and I didn't do it. Regret. Another topic. Another fun thing. Can we make fun of Chris Illich for a second? Chris Illich released a statement after Leland made the haul. Said something to the effect of, The Tigers have been led by incredibly successful managers since 1901. Which, number one, I thought was like a weird, like, line to be in that statement about Leland at first. Like, what, like. Why are we talking about the history since 1901? It's not really necessary. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, Tigers have had their share. They've had some celebrity managers, you know, Ty Cobb, Mickey Cochran. Huey Jennings. Huey Jennings, Billy Martin, uh, and and Sparky and Leland. And it's like, Tigers have had, have had a lot of random managers in their 120-plus yeah. years. You know, no one's really talking about uh, Dell Baker or Cy Perkins or Bob Swift or uh, uh, even Larry Parrish and Phil Gardner. People forget Luis Pujols went 55 and 100 in 2002. Oh, yeah. You know, like, is, are, are they included in the long line of incredibly successful managers since 1901? It's really like most franchises, like once in a generation or so, they've had like a powerhouse manager for that. I just thought that was ridiculous. Um, otherwise, very glad Leland got in the Hall of Fame. I thought he had a Hall of Fame resume. I wasn't sure if he would get in because these veterans committees, like it's, it's just tough. You know, you have to get 12, yeah, of, 12 16 votes with like. Yeah. There were a lot of guys on that list I thought were deserving. All of them realistically were like, borderline. Uh, I think it speaks to Leland's stature in the game that he yeah. was the guy that got in that he got it over a Lupinella uh, or, or others of that ilk. Um, and my, I gotta say, yeah, go I was, I love Leland so much that like, I, I didn't know how I could like objectively view this because I wanted him in the hall of fame. But like, if somebody told me like he didn't get in objectively, I don't know if I could argue it hard. Sure. You see what I'm saying? 
Uh, so like I was a little surprised that 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 he got in because you know if you're if you're a Tigers fan of a certain age, you you went you're still going through this with Lou Whitaker. You know, in terms of like it's, it, I mean, it seemed like he was in. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you, know, you see you're wearing your Cowboys hat, Cody. <laughs> if you're a Cowboys fan of a certain age, you went through that for years with Drew Pearson. Mm-hmm. You're still going through that with Darren Woodson. Like it's hard. I know it's different sports, but like it's hard. You know, the Hall of Fame has a high stature for a reason. And I was looking at, you know, I know wins ain't everything, but I was looking at, you know, just the all-time managerial wins list now. I think we can say now we talked about it before, but now we're gonna we're gonna say Dusty Baker is gonna get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, Bruce Bauchi is gonna get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Francona will be in in the Hall of Fame. Lou Pinella has more wins than Jim Le- uh, Jim Leland, and that's it in terms of guys on the Hall of Fame. But the exception of Gene Mauch, who is not gonna get in the Hall of Fame. Gene Mock. Uh, Mock, excuse me, sorry, uh, but. One that kind of stuck out to me. By the way, just a little bit ahead of former Tigers manager Ralph Huck. Uh, Buck Showalter. I know this is about Leland, but just oh, for wow. a second. Buck Showalter. What do you, what do you think of that? Is he a Hall of Famer? Because he's going to no. pass Leland if he gets another managerial job. Because, he's had, he's, because Buck, has had, 40, too, 40 Buck has had too many managerial jobs. One thing about Jim Leland. He was never fired. Now, his one year in Colorado it was really weird and a detour and blah, blah, blah. Buck Showalter's been fired multiple times and still keeps getting jobs running teams that are already built to win. So, um, and then ultimately failing. Same win percentage. 506. 506 win percentage. I know it's not everything. I'm just throwing out the numbers. No, and Leland's is what, like 504? Because he's had to manage some trash. 506. Oh, Leland's 506. It'd be higher if you didn't have to manage some trash teams um, in Pittsburgh and his second year in Florida and his year with the Rockies. Like uh, th- that's the reason his win percentage is low. Whereas Mike Walters walked in. Ooh, Socha is an interesting one. I'd have to crunch the numbers on him. 1650 wins, 536 win percentage, obviously as the world series. Yeah. I- I'm just saying it's hard. He's, all, he's a I'm, decent I'm, player too. Not a hall of fame player, but he had a good playing career. Yeah. He was, he was a good player too. I- I'm just saying it's hard. That's all. That's that, that, that's all I'm getting at. And, and I was, Again, pleasantly surprised that Jim Jim Leland got in, but obviously deserving of. And you know, like it, it is. I liked what you said about stature in the game because there is something to be said about you know getting it voted in by your peers. Like not to dismiss the uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America. Uh, I don't believe them to be lesser evaluators of Hall of Fame. In fact, a lot of times I times view them to. A lot of times are better, you know, same goes for awards, but Leland obviously passed through the writers and the, you know, the, the committee of peers voted Leland in and, uh, and so I'm happy for him and it's another kind of moniker, uh, of the Tigers organization since 1901 that has had, as Chris Illich pointed out, uh, so many great, uh, great managers but it also kind of got me thinking i guess i gotta know like how much i'm like my inherent bias is here because you know every time it's so funny my father always says the same thing and then when someone gets in the hall of fame you got to talk about what hat's going to be on the plaque you know yeah and 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 leland took the classy approach uh about like i don't want to dismiss any of the teams i manage but am i wrong to feel like he's a tiger like you know like he so he managed the pirates for 10 years Marlins for two, Rockies for one, and the Tigers for uh, seven, ish seven eight whatever. So like Pirates for longer. Uh, he did get to two World Series as a Tiger. He did win a World Series as a Marlin. But to me, he just feels Tigers. I don't know. Like I know there there yeah, is or- there's there's history with the organization prior to him becoming a major league manager. You know, and, and, and he, he's touched so many aspects of the Tigers going to, back to, like, Fidrich and before. Uh, but, I, but I don't know if I'm just being, like, inherently biased by just thinking of him as a Tiger, even though he managed less than his first Yeah, manager. yeah, I don't necessarily think it's biased, but that is your frame of reference is Leland as a Tiger. That was more of, like, my lifetime when I was paying attention to baseball, so that's what I think of him as. He does still work for the Tigers. 
You talk to people in Pittsburgh, they view Jim Leland as a pirate because he was there forever. He was an iconic manager. He still lives in Pittsburgh. Um, he doesn't work for the Pirates, but he maintains a connection to that organization. And then it's like, his lone World Series was with the Marlins. I don't think he's going in with the Marlins cap, but like, they have as compelling of a case almost because that's where he won the title. Yeah, I, I almost think in like today's era, like maybe it's time we do away with like the cap thing. I don't know what the the blank cap is weird and looks weird, but no one in Pittsburgh or Detroit should get their feelings hurt if Leland goes in one or the other because it's it speaks to why he's a Hall of Famer. He had that big of an impact in really three different markets, and that that's tough to do, tougher to do as a manager than it is as a player. Um, that's exactly why Jim Leland is in the Hall of Fame because there are multiple organizations that can claim yeah. him as a Hall of Famer. He he is. In the best way, a baseball man. Uh, all right, real quick, Cody, let's wrap up here with a thought exercise. Now, if you guys listen to uh, Bill Simmons or Kevin Wilds, they have this thing called half-baked ideas. I don't even know if this is a half-baked idea. It's kind of like a quarter-baked. So it's going to need a lot of work. It's going to so, be really wild. Cody, all right. C- Cody, help me out. And, and at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, please uh, give me a little uh, feedback on this. I want to make winter meetings like more meaningful because like this blockbuster trade went down and then there was this whole Otani thing, but I, you know, whatever, but this blockbuster trade went down, but it kind of leaked that it was going to happen. And so when it actually like for a couple days and they had the square, you know, dots and I's and cross and T's and all that stuff. And then when it finally happened, it kind of felt like, like the <gasps> was, was gone already. You see what I'm saying? So, I want winter meetings to have like a little bit more vigor. I want there to be a little bit more urgency. So I just literally came up with this. And I think it's workshoppable. It's not workshopped. It's workshoppable. I think free agents, Cody, there's a deadline at the end of winter meetings that you cannot sign a contract for more than four years or more than 99 million. So five and 100 million. Either either direction. If you don't sign a contract by the end of winter meetings, you can't sign for more than four years, and you can't sign for more than, in total, $100 million. So these big money deals would have to get done in this period that's post-college football, where the NFL is not like ramped up for the postseason yet, even though it's still king. This in-season tournament seems like it was a success for the NBA, but large in parts, no one's really like that tuned into the NBA. College basketball basically doesn't exist. This is a nice little window that I think you can kind of own, and I think if you give some deadline and update urgency a little bit, I think you can make winter meetings like a bigger deal. So I think some sort of like contract threshold pre- Hmm. and post-winter meetings Might 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 do that. Might do that. So that's just like that's my quarter baked idea. That's really interesting. I think winter meetings are getting to the point where they don't need to exist as currently constructed. There are a lot of GM scouts, execs going around saying that. Uh a way to make it matter again is to have some sort of deadline. The reason MLB does not have a, a free agency window similar to the NBA. The union doesn't want it. The players think it will uh, it, it will repress salaries, especially at the mid to bottom parts of the, the market. So the idea you just pitch is interesting. Maybe make the top guys are going to get paid probably about the same regard, probably more if there's more urgency. There is a way to make that into more of a, a spectacle. Um, I'm sure that idea would have to be like further workshopped and like it would suck if you're looking at getting – if you're Eduardo Rodriguez and you're like, am I going to get 80 or am I going to get a hundred? Or like, if there's a vesting option, where does that, it's not, it's not fully flushed out yet, but I think baseball has to have some sort of deadline to make this thing more interesting, man. It's, it's a shame how little happened uh, this past week at winter meetings. Um, I've got another idea though. You, yeah. you, you mentioned holiday cheer. Uh, how about, how about a white elephant gift exchange among general managers and managers? <laughs> All right. All right, I want to know what okay. what uh, Alex Cora is getting uh, Dave Dombrowski in the White Elephant. All right, public film it. You know, let's see. Also, another note: the uh, annual Alavila Winter Meetings Turnup Award uh, for the second straight year will go to Alex Cora. 
Uh, this is for the baseball person who has the most, enjoys themselves the most in a public setting. Cora, I got a beer courtesy of Alex Cora because he was he was chatting with some Red Sox people, and for some reason or another, he just ordered too many, which is kind of awesome. And someone handed me a beer and said, "This is courtesy of Alex Cora." Shout, shout out, Alex shout Cora. out AC. Love that, love that. Need more of that, in, in, yeah. in, in, yeah. in my opinion. What's the point of doing these things if you're not going to get together and have a few sodas, you know? Yeah, so, and we're not uh, talking about it to embarrass you. We're talking about it because uh, th no, this should great. be applauded. You know, this, everyone should just be able to be themselves a little bit more. Yeah, what's the point of, it, of doing this if you're not going to be able to enjoy it? So I, I agree. Anything else, Cody, before we jet out of here? I feel like there are a million topics. We probably missed something. Um, yes. So maybe we're going to have to reconvene and, and do this again next week here before the holidays coming up. But I, I think that covered it, and, and I enjoyed this spot. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. A lot of this. That's what this time of year is all about, like speculation and, and theories, and, and and trying to kind of predict where where the team's going. That's uh, I I have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this podcast with you, Cody. I have a lot of fun with our interactions on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Pod page at Turn Corner Pod. YouTube Turning the Corner Podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for reaching out. When the Tigers news, they want to know what we think about it. It feels great. <laughs> I am very humbled by that. I know Cody is too. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.